question I should have asked you, but didn't. You should have asked Mo what he uses to uh, t- treat his hair. <laughs> uh, that is a good one. Um, Who knows, by the way? Nobody knows. Even I don't know. It's a secret. <laughs> Trade secret. Metaverse Podcast. I'm your host, Mehdi Farooq, Senior Tokenomics Analyst at Animoca Brands. On the other side of the mic, we have special guests with us. Uh, we have the founders of Aptos, Mo and Avery. Welcome, guys. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having us. Guys, to kick things off, uh, why don't you tell your, our audience a little bit about yourself and, and, and your crypto origin story? So starting off with Mo first. Um, yeah, well, Mehdi, thanks again for having us and uh, excited to be on the show. Um, well, my crypto origin story probably uh, is, uh, is a long one. I'll try to make it as t- tight as possible. Um, I'm a first generation um, immigrant, grew, grew up in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, growing up um, in, in, in New York, my, my father didn't have many options uh, as a job. Uh, and um, he ended up working as a taxi driver um, at night um, as a second uh, uh, job. And while he was doing that, he would earn income, but that income wouldn't necessarily stay with him. It would actually end up going to a taxi medallion owner, which was interesting. And, and so I took note of that, understanding that there are many parties involved in these types of you know, transactions and, and, and work uh, that uh, takes place. And it's the, pe- the people that are working don't end up uh, necessarily accruing all the value uh, themselves. Uh, fast forward, I, I studied economics and psychology and got to work in finance. And I thought, wow, I really made it, um, you know, working in uh, the, the heart of New York City and in kind of an industry that it's known for. Um, but I, I learned that same uh, lesson that stayed with me again, or, you know, a lot of the, the value that's being created by many parties um, is going to, you know, a bunch of folks in between uh, those, those, that actual value creation. And so you start scratching your head as you get smarter, of course, and realize, you know, why is that happening? Why are these ineff- why do these inefficiencies exist within these legacy systems? Um, fast forward, I, I went to business school I, and, and uh, was working at BCG when I uh, um, got put on a consulting case for um, a blockchain project and realized um, blockchains are an incredibly efficient system that allow for the parties that are creating the value to share the value among um, the right constituents. And I thought things like programmatic execution were, you know, could potentially be uh, an immense uh, uh, component to, uh, to to solving society's inefficiency problems. Um, I, I learned about Bitcoin and ended up joining a company called Consensus that was building the Ethereum uh, uh, stack, uh, things like Truffle and Fura and MetaMask, which is a developer tool, funny enough. And while I was there, I realized, wow, you can actually bring things like digital securities and payments uh, to life in a, in a very cool way. And um, again, the value that's being created can sit with the parties that actually are creating that value or need to exchange that value. Um, I, I think we also saw firsthand the challenges of building products on top of these um, um, these tech stacks that were you know quite new um, and uh, in, in their infancy. Um, eventually, uh, you know, learning about uh, you know protocols like Ethereum, I realized 
there's a lot more um, that you know developers need in this space to bring their their innovations, their um, their imagination to life. I ended up joining uh, Avery at, at Facebook and um, uh, you know realized there's a technology that could actually potentially solve this stuff at scale. Um, and and I'll, I'll give it to Avery to talk, talk about it in detail. But you know it's it's been amazing to to see you know the evolution of this space um, at the infrastructure level that really now solves these problems that legacy systems have um, you know created uh, an immense amount of you know abstraction away from you know the the, the endpoints and so I'm excited to be on this journey and um, uh, looking forward to kind of digging in a little bit more. Avery, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mo. Um... First off, Mo and I are very different people, but I think that's why we complement each other so well. Uh, my background is very on the other side of the country. I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, lived there for the better part of my life, and then went off to college in Northwestern, where I studied computer science and electrical engineering. I did a PhD in high-performance computing and spent a lot of time in different national labs, such as Los Alamos and DN Argonne. We got to do uh, cool work around supercomputing infrastructure. I worked on something called MPI, or Message, message Passing Interface, which allows you to support applications such as protein folding, scientific simulation, and finite element analysis on the largest uh, supercomputers in the world. After that, I went to Yahoo for four years to work on web search and developed something called Apache Draft, which is a large-scale graph processing infrastructure that could do page rank, triangle counting, and matrix factorization. In 2011, I came to Meta, uh, Facebook called it at the time, to work on data infrastructure. And then uh, in 2018, joined the, the, the Libra project, as it's formerly known, which became then DM uh, and, and uh, eventually became the tech lead of the team that was working on the blockchain at that time. And so it's been a really interesting journey for me. Uh, my journey is mostly through technology and infrastructure and thinking about like, how do we take the concepts from supercomputing, uh, which distributed systems that I've worked on in the, in the past and then kind of apply them towards a space of, of blockchain to support uh, essential largest applications in the world. And this is something that I think Mo and I are equally passionate about and uh, we're, we're excited to be here. Wow, you guys both have strong founder market fit for, for L1. Like, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, and Mo, I, I kind of also resonate with the platform risk. I'm from an emerging market. I've been deep platform many times. Uh, so I get the uh, motivation for, for joining Web3. Uh, so, so, so to kick things off a bit more, uh, I, I wanted to discuss the scalability of Aptos. So at the moment, we have about 150 L1s and L2s. And cumulatively... Uh, they won't be able to support, in terms of throughput, a Web2 killer app, let's say, Fortnite or a TikTok. And we have seen multiple innovation like ZKAVM, parallel transaction execution with Solana, sharding with, with Near. Uh, how is Aptos going to solve this? And what will be Aptos' secret sauce that, that tackles this? Yeah, I think I, I'd take the first crack of this one. So basically, you know, we started designing the blockchain back in 2018 in the, the language. It was designed to support billions of people. That was the, the mission that Facebook had. Um, and that's the, the one we thought about, you know, uh, was important to solve. And, you know, when we when we moved out of Facebook and, and started Aptos, we, we thought that mission was even broader to reach the whole world, uh, not just not just the meta users. And so when that, with that comes scale, latency challenges, as well as safety. And for each of those, we've kind of addressed them in different ways. So first of all, with the developer experience, developers today in Web3 have a really hard time of getting their, ide their ideas from the ideation all the way into production. And so Move helps immensely with that. It's a specialized language specifically for smart contract programming. It's deterministic, it's hermetic. It is also a very simple language so that you, you have fewer things and fewer ways you can make mistakes and errors. Also, there's something called the Move Prover, which allows you to formally verify certain aspects of your program in a, in a specification language, which allows you to hopefully 
you know, augment, you know, whatever auditing you provide on the side with kind of programmatic auditing. And that uh, in accordance with unit tests and this specific language that's it's just safer, uh, is just faster for developers to get their applications into production. That's one thing. The other thing is from a blockchain standpoint, it, you know, you kind of hinted at earlier, which is great. All the blockchain throughput to get together in the world can support a single application in, in the internet space like, you know, Amazon or, or Facebook or Instagram. And the reason why is it just doesn't scale. Uh, you know, all those blockchains combined can do what a single MySQL server can do. And it takes hundreds of thousands of those servers to support those applications, just one of them. And so our goal is to really be able to take our software stack and support as many resources as we can bring to it. So as validators start to increase the amount of CPUs and memory and storage that are available to them, whether on the same machine or multiple machines, that's something that the network can actually adjust to and the software side can take advantage of. And that's where the idea of pipelining uh, and batching and paralyzing all each of the stages uh, through through the design we have is something that brings that massive efficiency to scale. And today you can kind of see it, you know, we've already support tens of thousands of transactions uh, in a mainnet like environment. And we also support sub-second latency in most of the common cases. And that's, you know, makes us the fastest network available today. So while, you know, it's still early on days, and we do believe there's a long way to go. I think that the promise, like there's, there's already great infrastructure we have available in things like Aptos that support the largest applications in the world today. Excellent. So Evie, you did mention move language that, that has helped tremendously in terms of scalability. But one question that um, kind of comes to mind is that the idea over here is Web2 has have the most numbers of developers, like millions of developers, and Web3 currently has maybe 10, 20,000 developers altogether. But EVM at the moment has all the network effects, all the developer tooling and first mover advantages. So, so what will be the unique selling point or move apart from the scalability for dev to basically come and use this rather than EVM, since EVM, majority of the blockchains out there use, use that. Right. I, I do agree with you that EVM has a lot of tooling and amazing mindshare around it in the current Web3 space. And that's, that's fantastic. It shows that there's a need, right, for these kind of things out there. That being said, EVM is going to be something that's going to be harder to move forward. So as you think about how you evolve the language and the virtual machine and the you know, ability for us to kind of build smart contracts safely and, and securely and, and quickly, um, that's something that it's going to be just harder for that kind of, uh, that's that group of, 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 of uh, communities to, to move quicker on. And so what we've done with move is like, we're shipping new things available every month. Uh, like recently we deployed something called resource objects, uh, resource groups, which allow objects to be grouped together in the way you store them physically for optimization of gas costs and efficiency. We just added something called the move, move objects to the core move language to be able to allow composability that and dynamic uh, behavior between NFTs in a very native and easy, intuitive way. Uh, and as we continue to build the prover and, and new compilers and, and virtual machines to support move uh, uh, even further in the future, that's something that we can kind of move quickly on. Uh, and we think that what we've, what we've seen so far from developers is they've really responded to this. Every hackathon we've had, uh, we had one in, in May in our office in 2022. We had one in uh, Seoul. Very recently, um, you know, uh, earlier earlier this year, developers are able to build some amazing applications in short periods of time, and so that kind of shows us that we are making great progress in terms of the tooling, in terms of the uh, documentation, and the support in the community that's coming up with Move. And we're really excited about that going forward. Yeah, just to maybe kind of add to that, I think um, Avery said this really well, right? Like our, our singular focus was to build um, the best developer experience possible. And, you know, as we think about Move, as we think about the design decisions that the team has made, um, and as we think about the next generation of entrepreneurs and builders that are entering the space, you know, they're, they, they, 
understand that Web3 is um, a core component to their product, but may not necessarily be the only component that they want to focus on. So, um, you know, whereas before when, you know, in, in 2016 and 2017, when I was in the Ethereum community, our only focus was uh, for maximum decentralization. And with that came a compromise to, well, the developer experience means you have to piece things together. And by piecing things together, like, yes, you are able to achieve that goal, but the maintenance of that product the user experience becomes very clunky. And so, you know, I, I think, again, uh, our team is very keen on making sure that developers have just a phenomenal experience. Move is uh, a centerpiece for that. Um, and, you know, the, the feedback to, to Avery's point, you know, the things that we hear at our at our hackathons and our uh, even our accelerator cohorts is um, it's like chewing cotton candy uh, in Aptos. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we like that and we want to continue to, of course, improve on that too. So yeah, that's, that's very good to hear. Um... So I, I also want to do a thought experiment. So hypothetically, let's say we enter 2025. Uh, Aptos is an amazing blockchain. Everybody wants to use it. It's highly performant, low latency. But there's also strong network effect associated with Solidity. So can apps, Aptos theoretically support EVM or Solidity? Like, for example, on Solana, you have Neon Labs that can support natively uh, Solidity, at least in the future. Do you guys have internal discussion regarding this or... Like what's the thought process there? That's a great question. I think we can support EVM and Solidity. We have done some back of the experiments and actually some community members have built some pretty amazing tools to support EVM in different ways, either through translation into move or directly kind of implementing down to the core stack as prototypes. And those those are, you know, pretty interesting, compelling. But I think the downside is that we kind of comes with all the EVM like uh, behavior that that's as part of it. And so you're not going to necessarily see the best performance with EVM you could get a compatibility layer, which is great. Uh, and that might be very helpful in terms of being able to leverage uh, all the network effects that you're talking about. Uh, but I do think that Move provides a, an experience which is going to be much more tuned towards what we're trying to build with Aptos and again, supporting our mission of scalability, latency, uh, parallelism, all those things. So, so scalability and decentralization, there's, there's a trade-off, right? So in terms of being sufficiently decentralized where we don't have to forego scalability, what do you think is the right metrics to kind of measure that? Like what is the right uh, Nakamoto coefficient that you guys are targeting? How many validator set will it take for for to have that kind of sufficient decentralization whilst not foregoing um, the scalability that you guys are thinking about? That's a great question. So I think for us, we, we believe that we're going to be offering a high throughput, low latency, um, uh, decentralized database, you know, as a product going forward. And for that, you know, inherently you can't have uh, a, a large, large, like you can't have like a million validators out there doing that. I think that's going to be very difficult to do. And it also is to that point, a very expensive cost on the network. You know, the more validators you add at some point, there's diminishing returns with respect to security. Yet the increased cost because those validator costs need to be paid by, for by the network over time. And so our, our plan really is, you know, to, to work on more meaningful numbers. Uh, as you kind of hinted at, we, we are less concerned about things like number of nodes and more concerned about what is the resiliency of the system towards different kinds of uh, failures and faults. And the Nakamoto coefficient and what we call also the liveness coefficient, kind of the corresponding metric, I think are very important ones. So Nakamoto coefficient for those kind of not aware of is the number of machines in different kinds of failure dimensions to uh, in which your system fails uh, to, to make uh, progress or fails from a safety perspective. And then from the, what we call the liveness coefficient, that's kind of the minimum uh, amount of machines in, in terms of being able to make forward progress uh, in, in the network. And those, those numbers are meaningful to us. So for example, many networks today have thousands of nodes out there that claim massive decentralization, but in reality, 
you know, most of those nodes are doing nothing. They actually contribute nothing to the security of the network. If you remove 90% of them, the, the kind of dust of the stake, it doesn't affect the security of the network at all. And they kind of mostly incur a cost on the network uh, in terms of upgradability, coordination, uh, and, and also the, um, you know, just the ability for, for the project to kind of move quicker. So we do believe like, uh, you know, we want to continue to see the Nakamoto efficient and Leibniz coefficient grow. It doesn't necessarily mean that the number of nodes, again, is totally proportioned to that, if that makes sense. Uh, as, as an example, some of the biggest networks in the world, thousands of nodes might have Nakamoto coefficient, like the biggest one's probably like 30, uh, 31, maybe or something like that. And so you don't need 2000 nodes to have a Nakamoto coefficient of 31. You, you can actually get that with just 100 nodes, basically, um, if, if they're kind of equally distributed. So we do focus more on the kind of, again, the more practical resiliency factors uh, of these two, these two metrics as opposed to broadly just number of nodes in the network. And we think about it in terms of dimensions of number of nodes. Number of node operators is also very important. Like having one node operator operating thousands of nodes is not making network very resilient. The geopolitical risks, which countries you're in, what cities you're in, uh, as well as other factors, such as if you're using cloud providers, are those cloud providers becoming a centralized point of failure? So that's that's the kind of way we think about Nakamoto coefficient and Leibniz coefficient in terms of those specific dimensions and how we how we want to optimize those towards more resiliency in the network. Sorry, I'll, I'll probe you just a little bit more uh, in terms of your current Nakamoto if coefficient. Like, what is what is the Nakamoto if coefficient? And for you guys, what's the north star? Like, what's what's the coefficient that you're kind of aiming for? Yeah. So just to remind everyone, oh, this is a permissionless network, so it's not something that I can control or anyone can control. Um, it's you know we I think today we the launch, we're about 102 nodes, uh, give or take. Uh, and uh, I think the Nakamoto is somewhere, uh, I think 13, uh, depending on whether we consider nodes or validator operators. So we actually have a report coming out you know, fairly soon that will kind of detail the Nakamoto coefficient in each of these different dimensions because they all matter. Um, but I think for a, a fairly new network, that's pretty good. Uh, we do want to see it improve over time. and uh, But at launch, I think it was definitely one of the most decentralized the launches of all time from that dimension. And in terms of scalability, I know TPS is better for vanity metric. Like it depends on what type of transaction. But again, for for a North Star for you guys, what would be, let's say by 2025, what is the TPS uh, you guys would be aiming for? Uh, on average, like not a TPS in terms of, let's say, you're doing a peer-to-peer -peer transaction or let's say validators are communicating with each other. Let's say on average, uh, average transaction. What would be the TPS you guys would be aiming for in live environment? This is a great, great question. I do want to, before I answer that, I do want to kind of have a discussion about what TPS means, right? And so where I come from, like more of the analytics database world, there are amazing benchmarks like TPC that uh, that kind of help you to understand the difference in workloads uh, amongst different kinds of systems. And they can compare apples to apples. In our world, in blockchain, this is a completely undefined metric. And, you know, some people mean like instructions, some people mean transactions, some people mean like portions of transactions. And so this, this becomes a very hard metric to compare between networks. So I do want to caveat with that. Um, you know, when we, think, when we think about transactions, we kind of think about, you know, there, there are big transactions or small transactions, but maybe one of the things that is easy to agree on is that these are, these are kind of individual atomic operations that are signed by a particular um, uh, authorizer and not, you know, so for instance, if I sign you know, if I have a hundred operations and then I sign them all at once, to us, this is like one transaction. You know, it's not, it's not going to be a hundred transactions. Um, and so from that perspective, I think, you know, we have probably the, the best throughput of any network out there today. Um, and in the future, we expect as we can kind of grow our validator network in terms of the scaling their resources uh, in 2025, you know, we should be easily hitting a million, a million or more transactions per second. If we can't do that, then, you know, what are we doing here? We, we need to be able to build the best infrastructure can support all those internet applications on top of blockchain. 
and of course, not everything's going on blockchain, right? There's off-chain data that doesn't make sense. But you know, in terms of, to, to bring as much decentralization into applications, you're going to have to have the infrastructure that scales out to support it. Yeah, that's very interesting. I had this debate with um, Hasib, like I hosted him, uh, like from Dragonfly. It was like Google at the moment does 10 to 20,000 TPS. And I was like, what if we could do a million? He was like, that's, that's, that's not possible. So it's good to hear that you guys are aiming for that. And then, then truly means that you're kind of trying, trying to aim for the world computer uh, yeah, landscape. I just want to say, I, I want to say it's very doable. It's not, it's not something that's impossible. It just means you have to think about the trade-offs and scalability and, and, and scaling that you do support. And it also means probably complicating the lives of validators a little bit. Uh, but it is definitely something that we believe is, is absolutely attainable in, in our time frame. Assuming we have the high throughput and low latency, uh, what are some of the use cases that will be very unique that we can see pop up in, 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 in Web3? Let's say we have this throughput, we have this latency, what will be some of the interesting application perhaps you haven't seen in Web2, but you'll, you'll perhaps see in Web3? Yeah, I, I, I can kind of take this one. I, I mean, uh, when you think about being able to put this level of throughput um, to good use, you have to look at you know what's taking place from a digital transaction perspective today, um, and if you start to break the, the in, you know all the digital transactions down, there's some very high value ones um, that we see in things like payments and capital markets. We also have seen some very high value transactions in um, you know digital art potentially moving, and so as we dissect um, these various categories um, inside of Aptos and even within the Aptos uh, community. Uh, there's four that really make sense for us. Um, the first is um, social media, and we, we you know can go into some detail there. Uh, we see gaming as an industry and a ver uh, industry vertical that we're very excited about. Um, the third uh, is uh, media and entertainment, and then the fourth is um, is finance. And you know, finance you can kind of break down into uh, traditional payments or just payments in general, and ca and things like capital markets. Um, which, you know, we, we think DeFi kind of falls in that, into that category. And so maybe just spending a little bit of time on that last point, um, you know, think about all the money that moves across the world on a day, daily basis. Um, and, and there's one component of it that's, go, you know, consumer to merchant. And we think that's one that, you know, uh, is, is, is very familiar to us. There's merchant to bank or merchant to merchant. And then, you know, there's, um, Everything that's uh, taking place um, on a global scale where, you know, it's not just within the borders of a country, but, you know, money is moving, you know, from, uh, you know, country A to country B. And that might be taking place not only from, you know, if, if Mehdi is in, in, uh, in the Bay Area and Mo is sitting in, I don't know, in uh, so somewhere in India or, or uh, you know, how do you send money to him uh, with, 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 in a frictionless environment? But then there's also um, large institutions and sovereigns that are sending money across each other uh, to each other. Um, with, you know, um, interbank uh, uh, transactions or, you know, cross-bank transactions. These are, you know, billions of dollars of value that are moving on a daily basis, if not trillions, depending on what's going on in the environment. And in order to enable that, you know, there's been so many different networks that have been created that all have to work together and, of, of course, present a, a slew of challenges. And so, you know, what Avery's talking about, um, you know, having a, a stack that's uh, incredibly efficient, you, know, you have to think about the primitives that need to come to place. And there's some exciting announcements coming soon that, you know, ha happy to share with you um, in, the, in the coming weeks. But a standard setting on things like identity really need to work well. Um, uh, of course, you need high throughput and low latency to, to make that come to life. But, you know, all these parties need to be able to agree to, you know, some sort of baseline, you know, uh, uh, standards 
uh, to facilitate that, that frictionless movement of, of, of money and value. You can apply all of this not only to payments, but capital markets, right? If you need equity products and debt products to move, um, you need to be able to construct portfolios in real time. You need deep liquidity pools. Um, these standards not only need to exist, but they also need to be accepted uh, and, 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 and a protocol that you know everyone has to be using concurrently. And so we're, we're seeing some of that um, uh, that analogy play out in, in DeFi. Uh, we've seen that over the last few years, and you know the uh, the builders there have been incredibly imaginative in terms of reconstructing a new type of capital markets. The challenges, uh, of course, are you know you still have to bridge things to different po- protocols. Standards are not necessarily aligned, whether it's smart contract standards or even business standards or legal standards. And so, um, you know, we're excited to be solving some of these problems with some of the best partners in the world, whether they're uh, some some of the largest um, DeFi protocols to some of the largest financial um, uh, players and institutions in the world that see the value in this. And so, um, you know, this is a use case um, and an entire vertical um, that if you can get this right, you know, you, 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 you could be focused on this for the next 20 years, most likely. Um, of course, we're ambitious and think about things like gaming and uh, media and entertainment and others as well. But, but but maybe I'll just pause there if you have any follow-ups. Otherwise, I, I can chat no, about there's the other verticals. Lot to, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot to unpack and we'll go to other verticals in a moment. So the sure. three things. Uh, so apart from scalability, in, in the last cycle, what we encountered was on-chain reputation and identity. And you can't do... Uh, under collateralized lending on borrowing because you don't have that, right? You We also had user friction uh, in terms of wallets and remembering the seed phase and interacting with it. And the third biggest issue we had was on public blockchain. Institutions cannot build, right? Because you need to have kind of know what your gas fees would be. You need to have KYC customer. You can't have airdrop mechanism because if the sanctioned entity does some kind of airdrop, all of these obstacles <laughs> will, will prevent them. So in terms of Aptos, you did mention on-chain identity. How are you guys tackling those two, three issues? Maybe there are some other projects that you guys are closely working with within your ecosystem, or are there certain solutions you are building on that tackles this? We've learned a thing or two about uh, bringing too many parties to the table to align on standards. Um, And so, you know, one thing that we're doing now is finding the right group of partners across um, these industry verticals. Um, to, 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 you know, just get the ball rolling on saying, hey, you know, party A, B and C, you know, come together and say, these are the minimum viable, you know, sta- uh, you know attributes that we want to agree to um, on, on, on standard setting. And so, you know, it's very much a coordination problem. Um, it's kind of a business problem. It's a human centric problem. And so, you know, when we find financial institutions, payment networks, um, uh, technology providers, and, you know, maybe even a merchant or two and a consumer that say, hey, you know, these are the things that we're willing to share with each other because these are the most important things that we all have to agree on. Well, then, cool, we can roll up our sleeves and get to work. And so this is the stuff that we're starting off, starting off today. Uh, of course, you know, we can kind of uh, dive in, into like what ex- needs to exist on chain versus, you know, what may not necessarily need to exist on chain. There's a cost, as you correctly pointed out, um, to the on-chain component. But there is a massive appetite uh, to pay uh, for that cost because that gives you the trust the assurances that, you know, if, if, if Mo and Mehdi are, are playing a game with each other or we're doing a DeFi transaction together, you know, we, we feel that there is some trust there. You know, I'm not going to go into a pool where, um, you know, I, I may be subjected to, um, you know, bad actors. And so, you know, if there's a propensity to pay, then we should find the right parties and actually build that standard on chain. And so we're working on that today, whether it's with, you know, a group of DeFi protocol participants, 
uh, maybe stable coin issuers, and then other you know payment networks that are out there in the world. And so we're excited to bring those things to, to, to market soon. But all of that doesn't exist without this incredible technology. And this is where I can kind of pass it off to Avery. You know, the team is, uh, you know, we have an amazing engineering team that's thinking about privacy, uh, that's thinking about, you know, permission, permissionless environments. And, and Avery, you should, ju- you should jump in here because uh, there's some exciting stuff to share. I think a lot of this on the identity side, as Mo correctly pointed out, is really on the business use cases and how you can partner with existing identity providers to do the same kind of work on chain in a, in a much more auditable and verifiable way. And on the blockchain side, what needs to be done is, is there need to be standards like soul bound token type standards around identity. There also needs to be support for um, zero knowledge proofs. And so uh, Aptos already kind of supports a lot of different types of, of zero knowledge proof verification from bulletproofs to snarks, uh, uh, on on chain, and so that as a kind of core move primitives, and so that composability is already is already there, and we were looking for people to you know play around and and start to prototype with that. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done a little bit differently is that rather than supporting those primitives uh, with certain curves, it was we actually allow people to kind of custom build their proofs uh, with different types of um, you know schemes versus uh, you know, curves that they want to match, and also that allows more flexibility with respect to the you know the the kind of verification that needs to be done on chain for zero knowledge. So. That's just a couple examples. We're also, um, you know, supporting different kinds of uh, other ways in which identity can be can be fostered through uh, through infrastructure around the indexer, uh, around kind of um, full node submission of these things, and so it's it's kind of a holistic uh, uh, a technological approach from business use case into the, the kind of the product infrastructure down all the way down to blockchain, in which we think there can be a meaningful difference here. Um, you mentioned ZK, like knowledge primitives. Can you give an example of how it would be useful on, on an application level? Sure. So I think, yeah, absolutely. So right now, uh, you know, if you want to support like a, a zero knowledge, like roll up on top of Aptos, it's actually pretty straightforward. You could do that. You you just need to go ahead and, and kind of publish your proofs on chain. And then those can be verified uh, through uh, move contracts uh, because there's native functions and they can, can support different types of curves different kinds of uh, zero knowledge uh, verification um, and kind of mix and match as you're, as you're choosing. And that can also support you know, verifying identity or any other things you want to verify through zero knowledge. So that's kind of already available on Aptos. Uh, and you know, we're, there's a couple of example use cases out for that. Things like failed tokens, which is a way that two users can transact where sender and receiver are known, but balances are, are kind of veiled. So we're excited to see all the kinds of different kinds of uses of, of zero knowledge in the Aptos blockchain uh, in a scalable manner. You didn't mention rollup. Uh, so will this be a part of BD strategy to get rollups on Aptos? Because there's a thing with rollups, right? It, it affects the composability or it will be something that you will allow to happen permissionlessly if, if somebody deems it appropriate for, for, for the ecosystem. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned rollups mainly just as a example of things you could do. I don't. I mean, I think some people might want to build rollups. Some people I, in the community actually are probably building rollups already, I, I, as far as I've heard. Um, but it's something that we also, you know, why rollups exist today in Ethereum is mainly to help scale Ethereum, right? Rollups can do other things. They can provide privacy. Um, they can kind of provide this also like a synchronous environment where the proof generation is like super expensive, but the verification is super cheap. Uh, and so that has interesting, you know, application effects as well. Um, you know, it's longer latencies generally. So it really depends on the problem you're trying to solve and, and you know, makes sense in certain cases for rollups. But for Aptos, since we provide kind of a very scalable low latency network, um, you know, scalability is probably not the, the thing you're going to get mostly from rollups here. 
Yeah, and and and, and I think you know Avery said this uh, well, and, and just to kind of add to it, right? Like it, it is a business problem, right? Um, and it comes down to what those business problems are and the propensity for these partners to potential to, to pay for this stuff. So, you know, uh, when it comes to you know looking at things, um, other protocols that existed, they needed these scaling solutions. In fact, those scaling solutions needed scaling solutions, right? And so now you're kind of like building on this like very interesting uh, stack that starts to feel wobbly and very difficult to maintain. And so this is where, you know, we were just uh, speaking with one of the largest stock exchanges in the world. And, you know, their view is like, yeah, we, we, we appreciate things like rollups, but they are not the solution um, that's long-term sustainable. In fact, they are looking at new L1s uh, uh, that have come to market like Aptos um, that can solve this in a much more um, manageable uh, process in a more manageable way, but then also continue to scale as those business problems um, scale and 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 uh, and continue to evolve too, right? Like imagine having to roll up. You know, the regulation is evolving, right? It's a spectrum, um, and and so you know, if you have new, uh, let's just look at look at Europe and what's happening with things like MICA there. As that evolves, you know, you need to be able to incorporate that um, in, in into the protocol today. And so, you know, as as you know, the world continues to evolve around us. You know, we, we think like. You know, we, our, our very strong opinion is, you know, having these multiple stacks and, and, and things like rollups uh, to, to manage are not necessarily something that um, a partner wants to have to deal with. You know, they, 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 it, it just adds a, an, another layer of complexity. Yeah, I, I, I to a certain degree, agree. Um, I, I think it's, it's a good point. Rollups also do not increase scalability. They, they, they reduce the gas transaction, but uh, on, on the base layer, they might not reduce. Uh, they, they reduce gas fee, but don't increase the scalability. So you, uh, Mo, you did mention social media, gaming, um, media, and finance. Those four verticals that you guys are targeting from from an ecosystem strategy point uh, point of view. We have seen lately seen in each ecosystem that if you have unique application, then that ecosystem accrues a lot of value. So we recently saw this with Arbitrum, where you had GMX, a uh, perpetual uh, base exchange. You had Magic Treasure DAO, which is trying to make a Web three gaming studio. In Solana, we are kind of seeing this proof of useful work thesis play out. So in terms of those verticals, what are some of the interesting and unique dApps that you're seeing on Aptos, which are different, which are not your run-of-the-mill copy-paste AMM type things? Uh, so some of the interesting things you're seeing in your e- ecosystem or you are kind of um, interested to see their progress going ahead. Yeah, I think you know our, our focus has always been on the user experience, right? And that user um, varies depending on you know, uh, what, whether you're talking to a Web3 entrepreneur, uh, a developer, an engineer that sits at a, lo- at a large enterprise, or, you know, it's the end user consumer. And so, you know, wh- while we really appreciate some of those projects that you named um, um, innovating across in, in their respective ecosystems, we've taken um, that uh, that principle of, of user-centric um, uh, experience uh, very close to heart. Um, you know, let's talk about just media and entertainment specifically. You know, right now, the experience for a moviegoer or someone who's streaming, um, you know, content at home um, ends within their respective uh, platforms. However, you know, it, it doesn't mean uh, that, you know, you don't have those uh, platforms disjointed and connected um, independently on, on your own, right? Like if I'm going for the movies and, and now I need to go stream content at home, I have to do that independently, right? So um, NBCU understands this. They also understand that the relationship with the end user has been lost 
to uh, many of these new platforms that have come to market, right? Whether, you know, it, it's going through an advertisement platform or a social media platform, or even the way they get their content out to market has to go through, uh, you know, maybe a hardware device or a software uh, uh, component that, um, that just abstracts away that relationship for them. So they wanted to solve for these problems. And so these are real business problems, real end user problems. And we wanted to make that, uh, uh, provide a solution. Um, uh, they, they, uh, NBC had this movie coming out with Nick Cage called uh, Renfield. Um, it's a hilarious movie. We're, we're going to be watching it uh, soon as a team. Uh, but basically, you know, they wanted an individual to be able to come play a game uh, where you can squash some bugs and win a relic. You know, it's a vampire-based movie. So it's uh, kind of like a casket and, and there's like varying degrees of rarity. Uh, but once, you know, Mehdi and Mo play that game, you know, we win a relic. And, you know, even to play that game, you don't have to enter, uh, you don't have to go through a, 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 a hurdle point of a, a, a wall, uh, an existing Web3 wallet. In fact, you just enter your username or can even log in with Google or Apple. Um, on the back end, of course, if you win an NFT or a digital asset, there uh, is record of that uh, that digital asset belonging to you. Now, uh, now you walk into the movie theater and, uh, you can say, hey, I, I played this game, I um, you know, uh, won this relic, and maybe uh, Fandango or NBC wants to offer free popcorn to you. Maybe Mo and Mehdi uh, want to go to the movies together, and NBC knows that you guys both played the game together, and you want to give you know, one of them a free ticket because they have a rare item. You can do that. And so that level of engagement uh, can go from game to theater. And of course, you know, we can extend our imagination because, you know, after that movie, there's probably a sequel coming. Maybe it's, there's a, there's a, a, a IRL experience uh, that takes place. In fact, we had an IRL experience at NFT NYC, where if you played that game, you could have, you know, got a free ticket to come to our uh, event. And so, you know, it really comes down to, uh, you know, what uh, uh, a content creator wa uh, wants to imagine, and we can help bring that to life. And so we think that's extremely powerful as we think about, you know, what digital artifacts um, and assets can really do. Um, so that's, that's kind of on the media and entertainment side. Gaming is a very fascinating one, right? Like, you know, often the, you know, how many hours do we pour into games where we're spending so much time with each other, uh, with people that we know, people that we don't know that are completely anonymous. Uh, but we've built these relationships up with a metaverse that's existed with people in that metaverse. Uh, but those relationships are just left there. But, you know, what, what if you can have assets that extend beyond just that metaverse or even share those digital assets? Take Fortnite, for example, right? They launched um, a Ralph Lauren or Polo collection of uh, digital assets uh, within their game. So, you know, you can buy um, a digital uh, uh, Polo T-shirt. Um, you can wear it within the game. But that's kind of it. <laughs> what if I wanted to share that shirt with Avery because he's in that game? I can't do that. Um, what if Avery wanted to, uh, you know, he got that shirt and wants to go into the polo store and maybe even buy that shirt at a discount because he has the digital version of it. Um, you can't extend these experiences across platforms. So you know, these are the things that we think about, not only from a user perspective, but also from a merchant perspective. And so we're really pushing the boundaries of, you know, what is a gaming experience versus an IRL experience. And these digital assets um, start to really paint some really cool um, experiences that we can activate. And so we're excited about that. We have, I think, um, uh, over 20 games that will be going live later this year um, uh, that are really you know, doing some cool things like proof of play, um, incorporating digital assets. Um, and, and, and so you know, gaming is uh, evolving in, uh, in front of our eyes. And so we're excited about that, too.
so, so Mo, after this podcast, if I were to go and play around with some of the dApps currently out there on Aptos, what what are some of those dApps that you'll recommend across the vertical? Avery, you want to take this one first? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of great places to go. I mean, there's obviously the Topaz Marketplace, which has thousands and thousands of NFT uh, creators and collectors out there. There's some really if you you know depending if you're inside the US or outside the US, there's some interesting DeFi applications you can play around with um, out there as well. Uh, maybe dropping some alpha today. If this is going live, probably not. But the same day, but uh, staking is going to be pretty cool. You can do actually um, stake directly from from a wallet. Uh, on the explore page and that's uh, something anyone can do as of as of today kind of uh, so that's kind of exciting uh keep that keep that uh, quiet until maybe a little bit later uh but um th- that, that's some of the things you can do t- uh, today they're awesome and as mo mentioned like some of these games are going to come out very soon they're gonna be a lot of fun um these games have been designed for you know millions of users in the past uh and and, and the, the the gameplay demos and also the uh, community tests have, have been really exciting to see with grand saga limited as well as pixel craft coming out we did an amazing, uh, there was an amazing demo by the team back in um, in GDC uh, in March. Uh, and, and you know, the early, the early look is, is is pretty impressive for sure. Yeah, I um, I think Avery's always dropping some alpha. So uh, pay attention to him and make sure you're following him on Twitter too. Um, uh, you know, but my favorite dApp is actually in the, in the works. Um, and so uh, there, there's, a, there's an amazing group of uh, folks that were building um, a social product um, called Chingari. I think they have 170 million downloads, uh, 45 um, million monthly active users. And they've been thinking really hard about how you reward creators, how you create this flywheel effect um, with um, users that want to have closer touch points with creators. And, you know, they've been, you know, uh, thinking about these problems for a long time and, uh, you know, figured out how to incorporate a token model to, to basically make that uh, come to life. Um, they were exploring what building on protocols looks uh, looked like, uh, and you know we had a chance to connect with their engineering team and uh, uh, and their business team on on how to actually bring that life to uh, for uh, bring that vision to to fruition uh, uh, to fruition and and do it at scale. And so when they saw um, you know what we were building at, at Aptos from a technology perspective, you know they, uh, they we 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 kind of uh, really uh, got along very well, uh, almost from above I would say. Um, and now they're building on top of Aptos, and so you know they're going to be changing um, the creator paradigm um, in a way that you know we only could have dreamed of, right? So and and you've seen these models, right? Uh, Twitch has a a nice little tipping feature. Um, and you know a lot of folks have been paying attention to that, but very large social media companies they can't move as fast as someone like Chingari. They can't reward creators as fast as Chingari can, and so you know Web three ends up becoming this killer feature in your application that you know it's not really a DAP. It's just a regular application. Like I you know I I I I, I want to challenge us a little bit because I don't think people necessarily care so much about the decentralization component because decentralization is such a spectrum. But imagine being able to tip your uh, your favorite creator in a way that they got paid uh, in an advantageous way compared to you know the large social media products out there today. And so Chingari is really uh, pushing the boundaries of, of what's possible and creators love it. And, and of course, you know, as a user, you're really excited because I get to you know, support my creator versus like supporting all these other people that I don't necessarily follow. And so um, it's going to set off an amazing amount of, um, uh, you know, creativity and, uh, uh, and, and content creation 
um, in a way that we're very excited about. So um, uh, keep an eye out for, uh, well, I mean, you could download Chingari and use it today, uh, but we're, we're, we're excited about um, them uh, fully integrating Aptos into their, uh, into their flow in a way that you won't even feel it. You won't even know that you're using a DAP. I'll definitely check this, check, check out Chingari after, after, after this podcast. Um, so one observation with L1 has been the success of L1 depends on the network effect produced by the DAPs. And, 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 and based on that premise, business development or ecosystem strategy becomes very important. So philosophically, what is the BD or ecosystem strategy for Aptos? And, and of course, there are multiple options out there, right? Like, for example, uh, there, there are a few ecosystems that are now specifically targeting Web2. Uh, there, there are a few ecosystems that, that basically does the BD through hackathons. So what, what is the approach Aptos is taking uh, with, with, with this regard? Yeah, uh, I think it's a great question. I mean, uh, to get the flywheel going and bootstrapping a network is really hard. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot, uh, often we talk about things like product market fit um, and it, for protocols, right? It's really protocol market fit. And the market for a protocol is massive. <laughs> and so, I mean, maybe you're asking me a very hard question. It's like saying, how do you get the internet started up again? Uh, uh, the, the answer is, is a lot of hard work. And so you kind of have to look at this from, you know, top down and bottoms up, right? Um, it, you, know, you have very large distribution platforms that exist today that have kind of stayed in the background because they're not sure about, you know, these existing technologies that have been out in market. They've tested them. There's some very smart people out there um, uh, that, that, you know, realize that this infrastructure is fragile. If I turn on minting assets, in a very large social media platform, this protocol is going to fall apart very quickly. And so, you know, we um, we, we we paid attention to this very early on. In, in fact, from our former, uh, uh, you know, Facebook day meta days. Uh, and so, you know, keeping that in mind, you know, now you can bring, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll stop calling them the Web two players, but we can bring some of the largest distributors. Uh, in the world um, to uh, this new version of the open and ownership internet, right? Which is Web3. At the same time, you have an amazing slew of projects that are being built um, that have been built over the last, you know, five years, whether they're DeFi protocols, NFT projects, these communities that exist within different ecosystems. And we love all of them. I mean, I'm a recovering ETH maxi myself. And, you know, I, I love some of the, uh, you know, the creativity that's existed within these, uh, these communities. Our view isn't, hey, come build on Aptos and abandon your existing community. I think that's absolutely the wrong thing. We think, you know, um, Avery, I'm going to quote Avery here, you know, one plus one equals three, right? So uh, we want these communities to come join our communities and build. We want to build together with them. And so, um, it, you know, if, if we can, you know, figure out how to um, get someone uh, like the, the, the D-Gods and the Board Ape community uh, to in- incorporate Aptos, we think that's a win. You don't have to leave your existing community. We want you to uh, it- it augment them and it- enhance them. And there's, you'll find that there's an amazing group of uh, creators uh, in Aptos that want to get that flywheel going. And so that's hard work, right? You have to be boots on the ground. You have to understand your uh, your artist community. Um, you know, I don't grow my hair long just for the looks, right? Like I've, 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 uh, I, I kind of live and breathe this stuff. Um, and so you know, I'm, I'm excited about some of these, uh, uh, these NFT artists now incorporating and building on top of Aptos and doing things that they couldn't do in uh, other protocols. But that doesn't mean they have to leave their other protocols. Um, at the same time, you know, Avery talked about the hackathons that we have. And, you know, man, we, 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 we spend a lot of time to make sure um, that we are supporting the growth all across the world. You know, Ap- Aptos means 
the people. And, and the people are not just here in Silicon Valley. They're not just in New York. Uh, they're in Hong Kong. They're in Singapore. They're in Dubai. They're in Vietnam. They're in Amsterdam. They're in Seoul. And so, you know, as we, um, you know, extend our reach, um, you know, beyond uh, our own borders, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been incredibly valuable for us to have. Our first hackathon took place um, in, in Palo Alto. Our second one was in Seoul in Korea. We had over uh, 50 projects uh, that uh, ended up submitting uh, projects, which was unbelievable. We, we couldn't keep up. We actually, actually had to extend the hackathon to make sure we get all the projects uh, to, to, to be able to present. Um, our next hackathon um, is coming up in Amsterdam. So, um, you know, if if you guys want to show up, um, you know, we, we we'd obviously lo- welcome you and the family to 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 uh, to continue to uh, support our ecosystem growth. But there's so many developers that are building, and you know, we want those hackathon folks uh, to to continue to scale their projects, whether they've been building on a protocol before or they have completely new ideas and are leaving the Web two world for a new um, ownership internet, which is, which is what Web3 is. So this is just, you know, incredibly difficult, um, non-scalable Web3 uh, Web boots on the ground work that um, Avery and I actually love doing. Right? We fly out to these cities. We spend time with these engineers shoulder to shoulder. Avery loves solving these problems. I love thinking about, you know, business ideas and go to market strategies. And so it's, it's incredibly uh, exciting, but it's, it's, it's hard work. Uh, there's no easy solution to it. Love it. So apart from hackathons, I, I was doing some research. You guys also have an accelerator, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, we, we, do ha- we do have an accelerator program. And so, you know, uh, j- just to add a little bit more color on that one, um, you know, we opened up our Bay Area office to anyone, right? Uh, literally anyone. If, if you have a, an amazing idea, you can submit it. We have a beautiful desk space. Uh, I, I wish I could actually maybe give a tour somehow on a, on a podcast, but um, you can come uh, uh, build your project with your team right here in the Bay Area. Um, in fact, we have we are now accelerating the hackathon members from our Seoul hackathon in Korea as well. So you know we have organically built this amazing uh, distributed global community um, through our accelerator program uh, as well. So. You know, please do apply to the uh, Accelerator cohort if you have amazing ideas. You know, we love um, uh, everyone. You could have been building on another protocol. You could be new to the space. Um, you may be a very large company and are looking to leave that large company and have uh, ideas that you want to bring to life. Um, we give financial support, go to market support, and of course, physical space to allow you to go- grow your idea very, very quickly. Um, so we have the Accelerator program. We also have a grants program. I encourage everyone to apply and take advantage of, of, uh, of the grants from the foundation that does an amazing job of growing the community very, um, uh, uh, very organically. Um, and we also just announced, um, I think, one of the largest artist grant programs out there in the world. And so, you know, we're talking with um, some of the coolest uh, creators out there, some very large distributors to, you know, bottoms up uh, solo artists, right? If you're the next a- a- aspiring Bansky uh, in, uh, in, 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 in a digital world uh, or from the physical world that wants to bring, build digital art, take advantage of our artist grant program and apply to that as well. Awesome. I uh, love the open source office idea. Uh, to the last segment of the podcast, I'm, I'm cognizant of your time, so this will perhaps take a few minutes. Uh, so it will be a rapid fire round. Um, so I'll, I'll ask the first question, which is better tech or stronger network effect? I will say, I, I mean, look at look at Google today, right? Like they still show how fast the search is done on the bottom. And so, you know, I, I agree with Avery. Um, better tech um, ends up being an awesome solution. 
but you still need the network effects to very quickly follow and 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 keep that uh, keep that flywheel going. Uh, I cheated. I said both. <laughs> um, Mo, you you might have answered this question. Uh, so if you weren't building Aptos, which other ecosystem looks attractive? It could be either ethos wise, tech wise, or or because of the adoption. Uh, I don't know, Avery. What else would we be building? <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything else we want to be doing. Uh, this is uh, one of the most exciting things that you could be uh, could be focused on, right? Um, uh, if, if I didn't have to work in the tech space, I think, I, I don't know, Avery, if you would agree with this, I'd probably be writing some raps and uh, Avery would be freestyling the, uh, and, and, be, and be boxing for me. Scalability or composability? We don't need to give trade-offs those, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a. I agree. I agree with Avery. I think like that was a trade off maybe in the past, and uh, you know, I, I think we were we're we're sol- we're solving that right. So. Yeah, that's the point. I think we, we can get we can get this. I think we can have our cake and eat it too. Right? Like as I mentioned before, it's really about how do you build software that scales across you know more machines, more resources, and 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 provides the same level of composability uh, for users. That's the holy grail. To conclude, question I should have asked you but didn't. You should have asked Mo what he uses to uh, t- treat his hair. <laughs> uh that is a good one uh i get I, that, knows, that, that helps. nobody knows even i don't know it's a secret <laughs> trade secret love it love it um thank you guys for coming this is amazing um we, we got to see the human side of you you and we also got to learn a lot about aptos and it was also very education for me to to know different things that are happening within the ecosystem so again thank you very much for coming it's, a, it's our pleasure Betty. thanks so much for having us it's wonderful to be here today What's up? We just had a fascinating discussion with the co-founders of Aptos, Mo and Avery. My first sense was with these co-founders, we have a very strong founder market fit. Avery is strong on the technical and and system side of things and Mo complements him really well on the business development side of things. You could also see the inspiration behind them in terms of creating a L1 blockchain uh, I, I was very fascinated by the story Mo told, uh, Mo told me with regards to how his dad used to work as a part-time cab driver in New York, but majority of the value or the income accrued to the medallion owner, which is a taxi license holder in, in, in New York. So he kind of gets why decentralized platforms are important and why there's a need to disintermediate uh, middle folks and, 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 and platform. Uh, Avery, you could also get a sense that he's really passionate about scalable system and he has had previously led teams in terms of high performance computing in Facebook as well as um, Yahoo. So apart from that, apart from the strong background, what makes uh, Aptos special is, is some of the secret sauce in terms of how they're thinking about scaling. So first, the, the, the first way they want to scale from a software side of thing is the move language, which is very composable and you can do interesting things with the assets such as NFTs there. But more importantly, it also provides you strong developer tools. So move prover, which is a formal verifier, could theoretically help de- developers ship safe and trusted code. And since they could uh, test that code and, and, and get quick feedback for what is working, what is not working, they could deploy uh, codes uh, faster and at scale. Uh, and, and this could give them an advantage to, to, to scale faster, especially when more Web2 developers are coming to the market as, as Web3 picks up. Apart from that, on the system side of things, they, they, they have introduced few things which are unique and also different from some of the traditional block uh, L1s. So for example, Ethereum is a single-threaded 
a system where everything happens sequentially. But what Aptos has been trying to do is they have introduced parallel and independent transaction processing and flow. So for example, transactions are first broken down and are done in independently. So decimation, decim uh, dissemination of transaction, block ordering, execution, consensus storage are done independently and, and done in, in parallel. The transactions are then done in parallel. So what that does is it increases the efficiency and, and, and gives you lower latencies and higher throughput because the resources, the validator resources are used in the optimal sense. So the way uh, they, they'll scale is they can handle more transaction, but as uh, the resources of these validators improve through Moore's law, when it comes to uh, CPUs, the compute, as well as storage, uh, what will end up happening is that we'll, in, in a few years time, we could come to a scenario where Aptos theoretically can handle 1 million transactions. And that is possible through combination of the programming language, the, the virtual machine, as well as some of the techniques that, that they're using. On the business development side of things, they did highlight few interesting projects. So one project is, is Topaz, which is an NFT marketplace. Another one was Chingari, which is a decentralized social media that is being built on Aptos. There were a few games that were name dropped. Um, one was called Grand Saga Unlimited, Pixelcraft, and right now they, they are also uh, doing this IRL experience with, with, the, with the Hollywood movie called Rhinefield, and they have tried to put that as, as, as a game. So there's some interesting development and interesting dabs on the Aptos ecosystem. So go go check that out, and I'll, I'll just stop then and let you enjoy the podcast. So please go ahead. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.